our study of the book of Genesis. You know, we spent uh, several weeks, uh, we have so far in Genesis, but now we're starting back in the book of Genesis. And I thought I'd do just a quick review for you, let you think through some of the uh, key issues that are going on in Genesis as we get started. It is interesting, when you study the book of Genesis, you are studying the beginning. You are picking up with uh, the very foundational things, trying to understand uh, what, how do we get here, uh, how do we get in the situation that we are in now? What has God done about it? What's He doing about it? All those things are kind of answered in Genesis when you're unpacking it. Now, another thing just to say is what we would say, like as we're moving through the created order in Genesis 1 and 2, that our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, He created us. And He created us, and I think it's important, and after He was done, He said, Behold, it was very good. The whole of the created order was good. And he says that he created man in his image. And man was able to image him, which is a very important thing as we kind of think about that. Now, what happened as a result of that? Well, in this good creation, there's a serpent that shows up and man falls. And one of the things that we learn about that is that Adam and Eve were told one thing, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Well, a serpent comes in and says, you want to be like God? And they say, well, we'll reject God's rule. And in that process, as that takes place, we see Adam and Eve sin and that they fell. And all kinds of catastrophe kind of follows that. As you continue through the book of Genesis, you see from that, uh, the first uh, boys together, one of the brothers kills the other. As you keep progressing and moving forward, you see that the wickedness of man is so great, every thought of his heart is so wicked that the Lord says, I'm going to destroy man off the planet Earth. And so we see that in that moment. We're going, good night. There's so much evil and so much darkness and so much brokenness. We even see in chapter, as you're moving through the chapters there, we come to a place where man says, we're going to build a tower and we're going to build it up to the heavens and we're going to make a name for ourselves. All of these things are revealing to us the brokenness of this good creation that it began. And it was, it was beautiful and wonderful, and now it's broken. And, and man's relationship to God with one another and with the whole of the world is all messed up. Now, as you keep moving, though, here's the interesting thing. The Lord does not leave man there. What we see throughout the study of, of salvation history is that it begins with the, 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 the Lord saying, look, I'm going to raise one up who will crush the head of the serpent. And as you keep progressing in that and you can kind of keep thinking through what takes place, not only someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent, but also one who is going to be a substitute. And I think that's important for us to see and understand that there will be a substitute that's going for mankind. And what we see is there's this place where Adam and Eve cover themselves in leaves and then, this, then the Lord says that won't do. And so He kills an animal and covers them with skin. And all of that is kind of pointing to us that God is going to rescue His people. He's going to save His people from their sins. But still, we're asking the question over and over, how's this going to all play out? And, and I think it's just important as you go to, like you might want to turn there real quick into Genesis chapter 12, but God chooses a man. And in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3, He chooses a man and He calls him. And He does so, He calls Abram and He says that He's going to make His name great and He's going to bless him with many descendants and with land and He's going to bless all those 
who follow in his is you know the, his people and these people will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth and so i just think it's important as we're kind of moving through this text to understand there was a created order and it was very good man fell and rebelled against god and then god says i'm going to save a people for myself we see him do some a rescue operation over and over through Genesis, but ultimately he says in Genesis 12 that this man, he's choosing him to be a blessing to bring salvation to all the nations of the earth. And we see that kind of move forward. Now, we study the life of Abraham and we say there's some problems. And the problems are that Abraham is traveling in a land without any he I mean he's traveling through this land as a sojourner he's living in a tent and as he's traveling along he has no place really to lay his head he does not have land we also find out that, that his he and his wife can't have children and so God's made these I mean massive promises and Abraham all along the way you're thinking good night none of this stuff is coming true he's having to walk by faith and not by sight and he stumbles along the way and he struggles in this process because over and over he's wondering and, and really not seeing the fulfillment of the promise. Now, I just think it's important for us to stop for a moment and say there is this element where you and I sit here today and we would say we understand that this world is not paradise. We understand that this world has a lot of brokenness in it. We've shared in the trouble. We know what it means to say God makes these promises to us, but, and even though we've experienced his, the blessing of relationship with Him, we're still living in a fallen world. We're still awaiting those things to, to come together. We still want to see all that God has promised, but we're in, in this period of waiting and we're wondering, and we, like Abraham, are, are walking through as really we would say sojourners on this earth. We are walking through this life awaiting all the things that God has said, but we haven't seen those things yet. And many of us would say we may have just little aspects of that, but we're still awaiting the land and we're awaiting to see the transformation of all things, the heavenly Jerusalem. We are awaiting what Abraham was awaiting. We are looking towards the day. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. But we are living in a world right now where there is mourning and where there is death, and where there is struggle, and where there is disease, and where there is disorder, and we know what that is like, and we like Abraham are waiting. And the question this morning is, can God be trusted to, be, to accomplish what He says He's going to do? For Abraham, that he walked in faith saying, Lord, the Lord is going to provide a promised land, a place for His people, a homeland for His people. And you and I are still waiting to see that be fulfilled in its fullness. And so I think this morning's very pertinent to us. Even though at first when you look at Genesis 23, you think, what is going on here? We're going to look at all that and unpack that as we're moving forward. But we know the Scripture tells us, and it's true, that God can be trusted to provide a homeland for His people. And we are awaiting that to come to fruition. So, Genesis 23, we'll begin there this morning. You'll note here that Sarah has passed away. She's 127 years old when she dies. 
And it's just, I think it's important to note this, that evidently she had been walking through, just from what we know about Abraham's age when he came into the promised land, she had been walking through the promised land for 62 years. She had been traveling through this land, living in a tent, moving around through this land for 62 years. Now, what we find out is she dies in Kerioth, Arba, is it, maybe that's how you say it, I'm not sure, I struggle with how to say all these words, but it's also known as Hebron. This place that she's in, it's a very central place, it's where, it's really like 25 miles southwest kind of of Jerusalem, it's a place that really is a very high level, it's, a, it's one of the highest towns in that area, it would be maybe even the highest, some people would say, it's 3,000 feet above the sea level. It's where Abraham lived for a long time. It's, it's where a lot of those stories are unpacked, where Abraham hears the he's met by the angels and they come to him and the angel of the Lord comes to him. It's a place where he hears um, multiple stories about Lot. It's where some of the promises have come together. All of this is kind of this area where they've been all of their lives. And so this is where she passes away. They've been there for like 60 plus years. It's also the place that down the road you'll, you'll find out about it's where these giants are in the land and, and it's one of those places that's very uh, powerful because what you hear is Caleb at 85 says, when he goes in the promised land, it's the area where he's going to go. It's where King David was anointed. It's, it's a, very, uh, a very critical place in the Scripture. It is the burial place of many of the patriarchs and wives and all those things that we see unfold before us. So we kind of get an idea. She, they're in the southern part of, of, of Israel. It's not very far from Jerusalem, and it's where they've lived. And now she's passed away, and Abram begins to mourn. Now, notice what it says as you see, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. There's been times like in this story you think, boy, I don't know. Abraham's like put Sarah out on the line and made it pretty difficult for her at times. There's been times where he wondered like, what about their relationship, all those things. But we see him here mourning for her and weeping for her. It has the idea that he he really is like he's broken by, by seeing her die. It's a sad day. Ultimately, that his wife has passed away. There, there's an idea that where, where it says that he went in to mourn for her. There were all of these things that would have been done. He would have probably, his hair would have been all kind of messed up in the customs of that day. He would um, cut his beard, which was something that was very, I mean, they would, they would always just grow their beard out. He may have done that. He probably tore his clothes. There's just a lot of different things that went on to reveal for him in a traditional way his mourning process, which was very normal in that time. But he would go before the corpse there and there would be a long time of wailing and mourning over the death of his wife. But he also does something else, and this is important, I think, as you look at verses 3 and 4, he rises up. So he goes through this process of mourning, and then he rises up, and he is going to go and try to secure something for Sarah. He's going to secure a burial plot for her, and he's going to honor her greatly. And we're going to see that in a very powerful way, where he's going to seek to do good to her in her death. He wants to honor her for for all of the years that they've spent together and to bless, uh, to really show that his love for her. And so I think it's important as we look at here, verses 3 and 4, he goes to these people who are in the leadership, the Hittites, who own the land. And he goes to them and he speaks to them and he asks them if he can find a place to bury his wife. And he, notice what he says. He says in verse 4, I am a sojourner and foreigner. What does that mean? It means he doesn't have his own place means he doesn't have the opportunity to say, I'm going to buy this plot of land. He has to ask permission. That's kind of been his lot. 
God has promised him this land and this blessing and all these things, but now here he is at the end of his life. His wife dies and he has nowhere to lay her down for the final time. And so he comes to them and he speaks to them and and really kind of a picture of humility. He says, I just sojourn in this land. I have nowhere to put my wife. And he asked them and they answer him and they said, hear us, verse 6, hear us, my Lord, you're a prince of God among us. These guys turn it and say, look, no, you... There's this aspect when they say that, it may be both attributing that God has made him very wealthy and successful, but it's also kind of a picture that he's a tribal chief among us. You are great among us. They knew, I mean, he was a, Abraham was a wealthy man. He had a large household. And they said, no, you, you, we want to treat you in the highest regard. And so they do. They say, whatever tomb you want, pick the choicest of tombs. You can go lay your wife any of those places. Then Abraham looks and he says, uh, I want to buy a specific cave. And he begins in verses 7 through 9. And Abraham respectfully bows down before them and he says, I want a burial plot. I want to purchase this for my wife. And I want this. Uh, I, I know what he knew the exact place he wanted. He knew the guy's name that owned the place. It was on the edge of the field. And, and he was going to ask, Can I, can I do this? He, he knew everything that he wanted there. And he began to speak to them and ask to buy the piece of land for her. By the way, it's kind of interesting. On the edge of the land means that there wouldn't have to be an easement that he would have to have. It just be right on the edge. He could just buy this little plot of land and all would be done. As you keep moving forward in verses 10 and 11, he offers, Ephron offers to give him the field with the cave in it. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. Because you kind of say, well, like in that day, one of the things that maybe that was part of the custom to say, you know, just take the land. You can just take that piece and you can have it. Just just take it. It may have been a courtesy kind of thing. It may have been just one of those things where they just did that. But sometimes in dealings, especially over there from some of the historical things I read, that was maybe just common to say that. And it was a way to say, hey, we're, I will sell it to you, kind of. We don't know specifically. It may have been one of those things. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody like say, oh, I'll give you that. But you know one day, like the Godfather, they're going to come knocking on the door and say, I got just I'll give you this favor. Just do a favor for me later. You know, I mean, I don't you know, it's kind of one of those things. You don't know exactly what's taking place, but he could have just been nice and say, hey, I'll I'll do this for you. As you keep moving through 12 through 15, Abraham asked to pay for the field. He says, I want that. And he wants to, to buy it and to purchase it. And, and really, this man says, look, whatever you want, what, what, is, what is 400 shekels of silver? It's a way to say, here's the price. But it, but it is also a thing that would say, like, both of us are wealthy. What is this to us? Now, some people think that that was like an exorbitant price. You know, we don't know. We don't know how large the field was. It could have been a pretty extended period of property, you know, and so maybe it was worth that. We don't know for sure, but Abraham completely just says, I'll pay for it. I'll do it. He didn't argue with him. He didn't say, well, I'll come back with this offer or whatever. He completely like just said, I will take care of this. I will purchase the field. Look at verses 16 through 18. We're just kind of moving through. I just want you to see it. Then Abraham purchases the field. He, he, he hands the money out. He says, here's the money. Here's all that's needed. I will buy what, is, what is you have asked in this situation. And you'll notice all the way through this process that it's, um, it, it really is kind of one of these things where it's done before the city. 
and all the elders probably in the city would have been there. It was a place where transactions were made. It was a public kind of picture that Abraham was doing this before all eyes. And he was doing it in a way where he said, without a shadow of a doubt, I have given the amount that's been laid before me and I have taken care of this situation clearly. Now, one of the things though I think is just important as we're thinking about this is Abraham again has been traveling his whole time. Now, we know that this is a wonderful thing done for Sarah, but also this is a picture that this land, this land is now, he's going to own a piece of it. His whole life has been traveling around in a tent owning nothing. Nowhere to lay his head really that was his. God had promised him the land. God at times had walked him through the land and said, look to every which way, like turn around Abraham and look at all this land that I have given you. But Abraham really never owned any. But in this moment we see him and he owns this land. It is his. It's the first fruits in a sense of the harvest of the whole land. God is giving him a glimpse, a taste of what he's going to give him. Later, we'll see in Joshua's story, as you progress through the Old Testament, where the, the, uh, Joshua will enter into the land and he will find rest on all of his enemies. And, and we'll see it even more with Solomon. There will be more and more land. Ultimately, what we'll see, though, is Israel's going to rebel and they're going to be cast out of the land and they'll come back, but it will never be fully theirs. When Jesus shows up on the scenes, though, it's just important to note this. When He speaks of it, He doesn't just speak of this plot of land. He speaks of the whole earth being the inheritance of God's people. So we just see this as we're thinking about this. With Abraham, it's just one little glimpse into to the whole big picture that God had promised. He did not realize it fully. He walked in his life by faith. As you progress forward, again, we're just kind of moving through because I want to kind of bring this together in another way. But in verses 19 through 20, we see he buries his wife. And, and again, she's given significance here. And we see his love for her here. And it's a very clear picture of his... his um, I mean, again, all the struggles that Sarah went through. In the end, Abraham is showing her great honor. And he's someone who should be an example to us in that. It's a beautiful picture of what has taken place. Now... As we kind of progress, I want you to think about Abraham's faith in the land that was promised. So I want you to turn to Hebrews 11. I want you to turn to Hebrews 11 because we're going to look at this in a little clearer way, I think, because ultimately this purchase of land was significant. And what you're going to see throughout Israel, this is what's going to happen. Abraham's going to be buried there. Sarah's going to be buried there. Isaac and Rebekah will be buried there. Jacob will be buried there. A lot of the people, it was this sign that this is our land. It's a very powerful thing that's taking place in the history of Israel. Now, as you move to Hebrews 11, verse 8, we've got to think, because you're like, Jared, that's great that Abraham got land, and oh, that's wonderful, and that's really boring, and I don't care. You know, but, but I want you to think, I, mean, I hope you don't think that, but Hebrews 11 in verse 8, as we're moving through, I want to put together for you how this all fits, I believe, together for the Christian. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. When, when, listen, 
when they're right, when this Hebrew author is writing, he is writing to a people who are suffering. He's writing to a people who are struggling. He's writing to a people who are struggling with like saying, go back. I want to go back. I want to go back to the way to maybe my old life. It seems so much easier. And he's trying to stir up with them in chapter 11. By faith, these people move forward when they could not see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There is something going on here where he's saying, listen, he was walking around. He was living in a land that was not his, even though God had promised that it was going to be his. He did not see it. He's making the case for them. These these Christians who are walking in this world trying to live out the Christian life and facing great suffering, once He's already said to them, listen, you have a greater covenant, you have greater promises, you have a greater high priest, you have greater sacrifice, you have greater privileges than Abraham or Moses or any of those people ever had. You have all these things, but they're still in the waiting period. They are still walking, as the New Testament says over and over, as strangers and aliens in this world. They are experiencing great suffering and trouble and trial, and they know that. But notice what verse 11 and 12 says as you're moving forward. Actually, before that, you see in this text it says, For they were looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. They are looking for something that they have not seen yet. And there's something very powerful about that. We're going to pick that up in a moment. But as you keep moving to verses 11 and 12, by faith Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past age. Again, not being able to see how she would ever have a child, she did receive a child by faith. Therefore, even when Abraham was as good as dead, she received a child and God made a promise to her, but she never fully saw it. Verse 13, All of these people died in faith. Notice what it says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. They could have went back. They could have turned away from the promise, but they walked in faith. They could have walked away from what God had told them. They could have been like Jesus spoke to the disciples. Do you remember when He was speaking to some of the disciples and He says, uh, this one disciple comes up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And that, that person walked away and Jesus once said, let me go first and bury my father. And He says, let the dead bury their dead. Over and over throughout Scripture, God is calling, listen, God is calling His people to walk into some places that they cannot see the end. They have to believe with eyes of faith that God is calling them to do it. They are called to walk without seeing. And oftentimes throughout Scripture, it is a long period of time of never seeing it. Sometimes when I meet people and they're like, oh, I'd give my life for Christ, or I'd do that. And sometimes you think, yeah, but can you live 30 years without seeing anything? Can you live for all this time, week in and week out, and run the marathon of faith 
I mean, that, that's what He's calling His people to. It is not something that is so elaborate or so amazing. Abraham walked around, he went around in tents for 60 years without seeing one moment of having his own land. He was walking blindly in the world and he could have turned his back on God and he could have went the way of the world, the way of seeing, the way of perceiving with your eyes, the way of embracing this present age. But he was focused on another world, another country, another thing, the life eternal. And he was focused on that and he is a model of faith to us today. He bought a field in faith awaiting the promises to come. One author said, waiting for God to provide them with an earthly inheritance, the patriarchs came to realize that this life is not an end in itself, but a pilgrimage towards a future that God alone can construct for His people. Man, you will, the longer you walk in the Christian life, the more you will observe that there are many people who come and go. They will not run the race alongside for the long haul. Why is that? Again, we know it's the Spirit of God moving in the people of God transforms them and works out this, but there is something about us that we should be stirred up to walk in faith. When we cannot see, the Christian life is a lot of not seeing, but believing in God and holding on to His promises and moving forward when you cannot see what is in front of you or what you are going to face in the future. What does it mean for us to walk by faith? I'm telling you, for me, over and over and over again, it is like when I felt called to ministry, it is to stay the long haul in ministry. Why? Because sometimes you think, I'm missing out in this present life. I'm not experiencing all the treasures of this present life. I'm not enjoying all the things of Egypt, if you will. There's an element to where you feel like in your life sometimes, and maybe you think, if I really pursue God, I'm going to miss out. I want to do the things that I can see. I want to be able to do things I can see them working out. I don't want to walk in faith. I don't want to persevere in faith. I want to see with my eyes the tangible results. And I can't see that. And so I'm not going to pursue these things. Abraham walked his whole life without ever seeing The amazing things that God had promised. And you know what? You will too. This life is a life of walking by faith. And that means you are walking without seeing. Christianity is a call to abandon all and trust in Christ. And I think it's just important that we see that and we understand that. As we move forward, I just think it's important that we even see this in verse 22. And we're going to read this guy later, but it says, By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Why? Why does he make directions concerning his bones? Because he believed the promise. 
Because even though he had spent years in Egypt, separated from his family, and then they returned, he believed the promise given to Abraham, and he said, take my bones back there. It's a, it's a one little glimpse. That little land is something about something bigger than this life. And Abraham, even I mean, Joseph, even though he'd experienced all of this blessing, he wanted his bones sent back there where God had made the promise to his people that it would be not just this little land that is to- spoken of, in the New Testament, I mean Old Testament, but it would expand to the whole earth. He's trusting in the promise. Again, this author writes, learning to trust God in their situation, the patriarchs looked to a reward that was beyond the earthly inheritance. They did not have the same clear promise of a heavenly homeland that we do, but God delighted in their faith and through Jesus Christ, He has prepared a city for them. Meaning that all people everywhere who are trusting in the promise of God are awaiting a future, a heavenly homeland. That should be our focus. That should be our dream. That should be our desire. That is what we're walking in faith toward. This present life is passing away and all of its lusts, but the one who does the will of God, who abides in hoping in the promise, they will endure to the end. This passage is a call to say, believe God. And know that in believing God, you are going to live not seeing, but you are going to hope in what He has promised, and you do it to the end. And it will be costly, and it will be tiring, and it will be exhausting, but the future for you, it far surpasses any of the trouble that you will face in the present. That's what this passage drives us to. Now, I want you to keep going in Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 22. In Hebrews 12, 22, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the the blood of Abel. What's he saying? You've come to the new Jerusalem, promised in the old and new covenants. They've gained access to the spiritual realm. You have come to the innumerable angels in heaven. You have come to be among the firstborn, those who are now in Christ with Him. The names that are written in the Lamb's book of life. You are eternal residents. You have those promises. But most importantly, you have access to God through His Son. You have a relationship with Him. You have the ability to understand those who have been transformed and made perfect by the Son. You have Jesus as your mediator, the one who's offered forgiveness and atonement. Then step up and stop living for this world. Lay off all those sins that are encompassing you and start living for something that matters. Stop looking with just what your eyes can see, but you live for something that you cannot see. You believe the truth of God and you understand that His transforming grace is working in you. Start living like that. A citizen of another kingdom. Don't store up so much on this earth, but store up for those things that matter eternally. Hebrews 13, turn there, because I want you to see as you follow the argument, 
that the author of Hebrews is making, Hebrews 13, 13, and 14. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What's He saying? Go out there with Jesus. Follow Him in Friday where He was crucified. Go, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Bear the reproach of Christ in this present age. Live for things eternally by living with the end in view. And that means in this present world, you are going to follow Him to Golgotha. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. Go out where the outcasts are. Those who are rejected because of their love for Christ. You live for those things. You suffer following in the footsteps of Jesus. Why? Because you have no lasting city here. You could build the greatest city, but it will be crumbled. The fire will destroy it. It will be purged. All that we build in this life does not, is not going to last. So go outside with the people of God. You follow with them as they've been doing throughout the centuries. And you walk by faith and you take the reproach of Christ in the present. For you have an eternal city that will never be destroyed. Live with eternity in view. We are not building our lives for now. So I just, and I've struggled with this in my own life, but like when it comes to what you are doing with your work, what you're doing in your pleasure, what you're doing in all these different things, all your bucket list added up and you store them all up and you think, this is what I want. Listen, it better be about the city that is to come because this present life is passing away. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, you go down the list, these people were turned away from this present age and they embraced the age to come and they did not see it in the moment. They ran a marathon of faith by the grace of God and so should we. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us follow Him. Do you see that? Let us run that race. Because in this time, we are living again in the Friday of this age. We are living in the suffering of this age. We are living in the struggle of this age. But Sunday's coming, right? And so we walk that way. And we say we are living in this present world, but we are awaiting the One to come. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God and He has endured for us so that we might be one day, as we already are spiritually, we too will 
be seated at the right hand of God. Let us run the race. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, but I will come again. That where I am there, you may be also. He is preparing the new heavens and the new earth so that you and I might live with Him eternally. Let us live for Him now that we might live for Him in the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Abraham's story is a reminder that the promises You've made, You will keep. But the life of faith in the present is one of walking in blindness and oftentimes never seeing. We get taste of that. We've had the Spirit working in us. We are able to gather with Your people as we celebrate Jesus and we talk about His wondrous works. But we are living as strangers and aliens in this world. And I just pray, Lord, that You would keep us focused. Because there's so many times in a marathon that we want to quit. God, I just ask for this church that we would be a people who are known by our faith. That we are known by, by a people who love You, who run with You, who pursue what You have for us, who live as people that are not of this present world. God, I just ask that You'd do that in our hearts. I ask that You would transform us and change us and move us to be faithful citizens of the kingdom to come. In Christ's name, amen.